Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. So today's guest is Lucy Termal. She's the youngest guest I've had on so far, and I've been really keen to have a chat with her and get the insight of some of the younger players on the tour and even some juniors that I'm going to be speaking to in the future, because I think it's important to understand the mindset and what's going on in the mind of these younger players as well. So Lucy is a massively successful England junior. She was always ranked at the top of her age group throughout her junior days, and she's transitioned into the PSA seamlessly well. At only 21, she's broken into the world's top 40 and making some really great inroads along the way, winning three PSA titles. Lucy is an absolute student of the game. You will see in this chat the amount of attention to detail she gives to her game, and in particular her mental side. She talks about her early stages in regard to her visualization journey and how it's already started to make some real benefits to her game. Being able to sit and talk with Lucy for this hour has been eye-opening for me. You know, someone so young has such a mature outlook on the game and she really expresses it amazingly well. She really goes deep with what she's looking at within her game. She's investigated breathing processes to help her relax and help her calm her nerves. She's actually dealing with a bit of an injury at the moment and has gone through a very professional way in regard to her rehab and how she approaches this side of it. We talk about her future and what she's looking forward to, looking at some of her role models and how she deals with pressure, how she deals with setback, how she deals with failure. And I think a lot of people listening will be able to take a lot of lessons from this chat from Lucy and how mature she looks at her game and how wonderfully well she's putting herself in the best position possible to be massively successful in future. I do think it's great having someone of this age on the podcast so early on, because I can imagine in a few years' time, she's going to be flying up those world rankings, and it may be a little bit more difficult for me to get her on and have a chat. She is definitely going to be a superstar of the future. I can tell the way she's looking at her mind at the moment and the way she's really trying to cultivate some strong habits. It might not pay dividends right now, but I'm one of those believers that these habits stack up over the course of weeks and months and years, and it's the sign of success of these top players in the world. There's no magic wand, there's no silver bullet that gets them to be successful that early on. Yes, there are the few enigmas that are able to do that, but the way Lucy is talking about her game, the way she's very reflective, the way she's approaching it in a very mature, thoughtful way is only going to pay off in the future. And even in the short term, the way she's had to deal with some injuries bodes really, really good signs for the future. So this has been a really fun chat for me. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So please welcome to the show, Lucy Turmel. Lucy Turmel, great to have you on the show today. Welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you keeping? Yeah, really good. Thank you for having me. 
Good. No, absolute pleasure. And, and I'm glad, glad to have got you on. You know, uh, you're the youngest person to be on so far. And I am really curious to explore the mindset of, of the young athletes as well. I've, I've, again, been lucky enough to interview some really amazing players, you know, at, at, at certain points in their career, lots of retired players, but actually getting someone like you on is really exciting for me. So thanks for taking the time to do it. Uh, so I think a great place to start is, can you talk us through your transition from being a, a really top junior in the England rankings and how it's been stepping onto that professional stage? Yeah, um, I mean... I was very happy with the junior career that I had because um, I think it was quite successful um, and it meant that going into the seniors, it was kind of a good springboard for me because I built up some confidence winning some of the junior um, tournaments. So um, going into the seniors, I didn't really have too much pressure on myself just because, um, you know, I just wanted to see how it, how it went. Um, and and go with it and it's going pretty well yeah yeah well it looks like from your results and your ranking and and the trajectory and the trend is looking good and I, you know we we chat on whatsapp a little bit before this and i think i i did genuinely mean this but I'm, I'm glad i got you on now because i can imagine in the next few years you're going to be quite hard to get hold of with the current trajectory of your rankings and where it's going but what i also like is England squash, you know, they've been around for a long while now and, and they do, they prime juniors like yourself to get onto that pro tour and they make the transition a bit more seamless and they've been doing it for years and years. Can you talk about the support you, you've you had from England squash in regard to how they've made that transition a little bit easier? Yeah, England squash have been great to me. Um, you know, the junior national squads that I was on, um, you know, thoroughly enjoyed those and I was obviously training with um, the top top juniors in England and then um, at quite a young age I became um, part of the England Academy which I think um, that had a massive impact because whilst I was still in juniors I was able to train with um, the top senior England players which you know very, really grateful to be able to get on court with people like Laura and Alison and SJ when I'm young because obviously just learning loads from them. Mm. And how, how was that? Because obviously there might be a part of you that there's a huge bit of respect for those players. And, and was there a bit of nervousness, a bit of tentativeness? How did you find it getting on court with those players right early on? Yeah, definitely some nerves, just um, obviously a massive amount of respect for them. But also there's always that little bit of wanting to impress them and wanting them to think um, highly of me as well. But I'd say especially with those three that I've just mentioned, every time I've been in, on court with them, they're very open to kind of chatting and discussing different things and giving advice if you ask them questions. So, you know, they're three amazing role models that we've got in England squash. Mm, no, totally agree. I think uh, the, the the bits I've come into contact with England squash and working on some of the squads, just, just the culture they try to bring to, to the whole part, you know, there's, you know, even the, the most successful player and Nick Matthew, three-time world champion also gives back to the lower end and, and he's mentoring. And I think that pathway they've created is great. So it gives someone like you such confidence that it's not this big, you know, scary thing that you're getting on court with them. Yes. There's obviously the respect and the nerves, but it, 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 it primes you really well to get, get in touch with those players and yeah, to, to absorb and learn from them. And I know, you know, seeing your results and, and hearing you talk about it, it sounds like you, you've learned a lot from them in the short space of time. Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot from them, from watching them at a young age on squash TV when I wasn't in those tournaments, but also on the squads, just like their professionalism and attention to detail, even as soon as they walk in the door with their warm-ups and um, like their nutrition and anything like that. Like when you're young, you're just eagerly watching everything that they're doing because yeah. you think that they're amazing, obviously. So yeah, I've learned a lot from them. So I'm, I'm sure there, there, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff you've added to your, the way you look at yourself and you use the word professionalism there. What do you think was one of the first or a couple of the first things that struck you straight away that you probably implemented really early on in regard to your training when you saw these pros walking in? I'd say just like when people talk about a warm up, they'd, they'd think of it as kind of, you know, get on court, start jogging, get your heart rate up, start stretching, squash specific after that. But um, like the top professional professionals have got that attention to detail where before even that starts you know they're foam rolling 
um stretching um you know you can do like massage guns all of that type of stuff um like band work mobility mm. so I think it's like that's them looking after their body to obviously prolong their career um and as soon as I came into the academy and started seeing them on some squats my warm-ups would maybe be like 15 minutes long and theirs could be like 45 minutes so mm -hmm. yeah it's that it's that level of attention to detail that they have so you thought obviously you came in and gone yeah I've got this warm-up sorted I know what I'm doing but they just yeah. like right here's how we do it properly eh <laughs> yeah and but I understand that obviously as as your career goes on and that the older you get that becomes more and more important but if I can start that at a younger age then you know hopefully it will help prolong my career yeah of course you know seeing seeing or hearing you talk about that now is, is massively encouraging for the future because you know you could get to 25 26 and be like hey I've not had an injury I'm great I'm, I can just throw my body around but actually you're paying attention to it now it sounds really encouraging so I just want to fast forward a little bit um looking at your PSA and, and, and the, the, the short career, but pretty successful career so far in it, can you talk us through some of your PSA titles you have won um, and and the journey and the feelings and the emotions around this? So remind listeners how many titles you've won so far? I uh, won three PSA titles. Okay, um, talk us through each one of those and, and how they all felt. Yeah, my first title, I remember all of them very vividly, to be honest, but my first one my first two actually were whilst I was still at college. So they were whilst I was still in juniors. Um, my first was in Barcelona and I remember going with my auntie and yeah, it was very relaxed. I was unseeded um, and just, yeah, it was almost round after round, just beaten higher ranked, higher seeded players. And almost like after each round, I was like celebrating because it was like a, sh a shock for me. Okay. Um, but absolutely no pressure. Um, I love Barcelona. We were having a great time. I could go and train in the morning, like probably sunbathe on the beach or, you know, go out and explore Barcelona and then have my match in the evening. I just remember it being so chilled and relaxed. Um, and yeah, just somehow managed to win <laughs> and being unseeded. It was amazing, yeah. That that's quite a could be quite a mindset mindset shift because obviously you've gone into it with no expectations, really relaxed. But then round by round, you're surpassing your expectations and possibly a bit of pressure starting to build. Go, oh, I could I could actually I could do something here. Did that ever come into your thinking? And did that did that change the way you play throughout that tournament? Yeah, at the time, even though I was unseeded, I remember seeing the draw and there were players in the draw who I'd never played before. A couple of them I had. And I remember thinking, you know, I could do well. I could maybe beat her. If I played her, I could do well. But I don't think I ever really thought about winning. My mum my always talks about, um, she was obviously watching on the live stream and she said, like, I won the final point, 11-9 in the fifth. And she said it was literally two seconds later she had a phone call from me, picked it up, and I was like, I won, like in tears, because oh. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was overwhelmed at, at that time. Can you, well, talk us through that final, 11-9 in the fifth, you know, first, was that your first PSA final as well? Had you been to a final before? Yeah, no, I think that was my first final. Mm -hmm. um, I played Dion Safri, who at that time would have been ranked much higher than me. Um, and... Yeah, it was a long, long match. I think I was 2-1 up. Um, yeah, 11-9 in the fifth. And it was nip and tuck every point in the fifth game. Um, but I can I can remember points of that match so vividly okay. just because it's always going to stick with me. It is, yeah, definitely. And just I want to maybe hone in a little bit more on those on those business end of that of that fifth game. What was going on in the mind? What what was there? Was there was there an inner voice were you telling yourself things or what were you reminding yourself to do to stay in the moment I reckon having no pressure on myself at that point would have been a massive advantage for me over Dion because I imagine that through Dion's head she was thinking I should be beating Lucy I should be winning this match whereas for me probably in the fifth game it was almost like it's too old, like last game, like I could win this. Whereas um, I imagine she was a bit disappointed that it had got mm -hmm. to to, the, to that point. Um, but yeah, I just, 
remember taking it one point as a time at a time as always and um yeah the last rally was like a long point uh, and I think she just like backhand drop into the tin I can remember it <laughs> to this day yeah Oh, well, it sounds like you're going to remember it for the rest of your life, that one. It is definitely special, that, that first PSA title. So what happened in your second one? Can you talk us through that, please? Yeah, um, that was in Aberdeen. And obviously the first two, I was still a junior. So as I said, I had my auntie at the one in Barcelona and the one in Aberdeen, my mum was there. Um, I think I was third seed. Definitely wasn't one or two. Um, and... Yeah, I played really well in that tournament. Um, it was almost one of them where as the rounds went on, I got better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, no real pressure because even in, when I was in the final, I was in the final as third seed. So I wasn't necessarily expecting to be there. Um, but yeah, because I was a little bit younger and still a junior, I think um, like there was no there was no kind of pressure in between each matches. I was just relaxing with my mum, mm. doing other things. I'd turn up and play my match and it wasn't kind of the end of the world how I got on. Yeah. Um but yeah, I played very well and I beat Casey Bartley in the final. Mm-hmm. Can you remember the score in that final? Yeah, it was three love, eleven nice. eight every every game. Um but yeah, there wasn't I remember from round one there wasn't an easy match that tournament. It was difficult. Right. Okay. And that's, yeah, that's sometimes the best thing, isn't it? You know, when, when, if you look at a tournament, you go, oh, I'm going to cruise through to the semis or the finals that, that can put you in a bit of a, an overconfident state and, and you could get found out pretty quickly. So this might link to the third one. So you've won two PSAs now entering your third one or the one the third one that you won had the mindset changed a little bit. Was there a bit of added pressure now going, Hey, I've won a couple now. And mm-hmm. can you talk us through that process of, of going into your third one? Where was it? And, and can you take us on that journey? Yeah, the third one was a completely different mindset shift because I was one seed for that tournament. Um, it was a slightly bigger tournament as well. Um, it was in Edinburgh. And yeah, I remember just before I went to the tournament, I had quite a lot of nerves. Um, just, you know, as as one seed, you always kind of put that expectation on your shoulders um, and had had a good tournament there. Like my first two rounds, um, were quite like nervy almost like scraping through a couple of wins mm-hmm. but I always think that that stands you in good stead sometimes like the first couple of rounds my matches were tough and I just got through and I think that gave me a bit of confidence um, and then my semi-final and final match at that point was definitely the best squash that I'd played um, yeah it was two good performances Nice. Can you remember what, who was the semis and then the finals in that tournament? Yeah. Um, well, I remember the quarterfinals was against um, uh, another English girl, Jasmine Hutton. Um, and that was a bit, it was a bit scrappy, a bit nervy, maybe some extra nerves because of the rivalry that we've got. Um, I got through that 3-1 and then I played Cristina Gomez, a Spanish girl in the semis. And that was the first time that I'd beaten her three love. And then, I played Melissa Alves from France, who just before that tournament actually had had a really good British Open where I think she got through to round three. Mm -hmm. So that was also on my mind a little bit because I was thinking Melissa's in great form. Um, You know, I knew it was going to be tough, but it, it was three love for final as well. Nice. Well, that sounds, that's really, really positive start. And thanks for taking us on that little journey, but just still focusing a little bit on that third tournament with that mindset shift. And, and it sounds like there was obviously a a bit of a story in your mind coming, you know, with maybe Jasmine in the quarters and, you know, maybe building up some of this pressure, but end of the day, you handle it perfectly. You really, you really look like you did well with it. So what's happening when you maybe have these stories coming into your head? How are you able to maybe disassociate from them? Or what, what do you, what's your process of handling pressure in that way? Yeah, my way of handling pressure is definitely changing almost from tournament to tournament, to be honest. Um, I've started trying to use some like affirmations. So when these negative or these negative thoughts or doubts come into my head I've been trying to um almost like tell tell myself that you know positive thoughts and block them out um 
that's kind of a new thing that I've started doing. Um, I think that's linked in with some visualization work that I started doing from March this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that the visualization has helped me massively. It's something that I'd never considered doing before. Um, but yeah, visualization has helped me a lot. Yeah, I, listen, I'm a huge proponent of visualization. It's something that I wish I'd done earlier. I, I got introduced to it halfway through my career, but I wasn't really given a huge amount of direction and I was just told to do it. And it's been my mission now as a coach to really understand some of the science behind it and why athletes do it. So I'm really curious to explore this with you. So I only started in March, which is relatively recent. So what, been mm-hmm. just under a year possibly doing it. Talk us through your process. Talk us through through why you do the visualization, in what factors you do it. Go as details as you can with it because I'm super curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just in March um, when we went into the lockdown. I was kind of thinking of different things that I could do to improve myself ready for whenever the tour resumed um, and had a couple of suggestions and I'd heard from a couple of different people about visualization and kind of the benefits of it. So I thought it was a perfect time to give that a try. Um, So I do visualization probably two to three times a week. Um, And I mean, there's so many different things that you can visualize. So I've visualized past matches um, and then um, how I envision myself playing in the future, where I've made mistakes and, Mm. then visualize myself if that moment came again how I would change it or if I'm working on something technically I'd visualize myself you know doing this perfectly um and then linked in with that I've started thinking more about my breathing okay which again is an is another new thing that um I hadn't necessarily picked up on before but um in some matches now that I'm more aware of it I'd find myself like with kind of losing control of my breathing a little bit so in between rallies in between games um I now try and consciously calm myself down through through my breathing Mm. um just small things like in between games I often like walk around and I don't really I don't really calm I'm quite um intense in that sense whereas now I'm kind of learning that I play much better when I'm in a more relaxed, calm state. Um, So the visualization has been massive for that and working on my breathing and maybe sitting down in between games and composing myself a bit better. Nice. That's that's really encouraging to hear. And 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 you know, it's no surprise, but but all of the athletes I've interviewed so far on this platform talk massively fondly of visualization. What what comes to mind when you talk in there? they found what works for them. And, and what be, what's become so interesting is what works for one person won't work for another person. I think over time, you yeah. experiment a little bit, you try things, you might do it for six months, but then change it again. At the moment, mm-hmm. it sounds like a great little sweet spot you're doing. So I'm curious to know with your visualization, have you, you started in March, how many tournaments have you played within that process of visualization? And how is it maybe folded into your tournament preparation and stuff? Yeah, we've had three tournaments um, since I started doing it in March. Mm-hmm. But it, the first time when I started was obviously at the end of March, as I said. And the first, the last tournament before we went into lockdown was the Black Bull Open. And I played um, Nada Abbas, an Egyptian girl. And then the first tournament after the lockdown was the Manchester Open. And I actually drew Nada again. Oh, wow. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of my visualization, because I'd lost to Nada in Blackpool and I managed to beat her in Manchester. And like I'd vid- visualized so many times playing against her again and how I was going to play differently or how I was going to be differently on court. Um, and then when I played her in Manchester, I just had this like clarity because in my mind, everything Nada kind of, did or threw at me I'd, I'd already played it through in the visualization sessions Amazing. so usually I'd maybe get a bit flustered I remember at Blackpool when I played her I got a bit flustered which meant I got a bit tired and I run out of ideas whereas the difference in Manchester was huge just 
it was very clear in my mind what I was doing. I felt calmer. So yeah, I'm going to continue with the visualization, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you've really hit onto something powerful there because that's 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 a lot of it. It's it's this rehearsal process. It's this idea of you're playing through lots of situations and eventualities. So when you arrive at them, it's no big surprise. Whether it's a good or a bad thing, because you you know there's actually a big school of thought about this whole concept of negative visualization. So people do like a lot of you know building up to a week of a tournament, they'll visualize everything that can go wrong, but they visualize the solutions to everything that can go wrong. So anytime something bad happens, they're visualizing the solution. But what they tend to do is a day or two before the tournament they change it into positive visualization, which is more on confidence and playing your best and moving well around the court. So it's really mm-hmm. interesting that, that, that more of late, a lot of people are doing that. It sounds like you've already done that. You've started to visualize, yes, the good stuff, but actually spending time visualizing the stuff that can go wrong is powerful. So can you expand on that a little bit? Like, like maybe linked into, you say you practice visualization three times a week. What is your actual practice process? Do you set aside dedicated time per day or, or how does that all work? Yeah, so twice a week I'll do it with um, my coach where we'll have a specific time and we'll go on a call um, and he'll say different scenarios and um, he'll suggest different things. But at the end of the day, it's kind of wherever my mind takes me in that session. So he'll prompt me with um, scenarios and then yeah whatever I feel I'll think about um, and then at the end of the session we'll discuss it um, and then yeah once or twice during the week just by myself and I'm finding myself doing it more and more where I'm just like sat or I'm on a walk or I'm driving and I'm just like thinking of different things in my mind which is completely new to me um, but yeah the visualization sessions they also help me especially at the moment when I'm going through the rehab for my leg it's they're so calming and relaxing and um obviously with rehab like having a calm mind calm body is really helpful for the recovery yeah oh, powerful Lucy it sounds like you're really onto something good there and, and hearing you say that is, is massively encouraging it sounds like you're putting some really strong things in place and you know you're, you're physically changing neural pathways in your brain and you know when they've done studies of of and brain scans of people who visualize and, and meditation comes into this a little bit you know the actual physical synapses that are working are, are, are stronger they've grown better you know and you're able to handle those conflicts and challenges a lot more so I do want to talk about your injury in a, in a moment but I just want to maybe explore a little bit more about your breathing because you've mentioned that and you said you've worked on a bit of a process of breathing so can you explain why it came up where it came from how are you going about doing this because I'm a massive believer in in, in breathing and relaxation as well but I'd like to hear your your journey on this yeah just at the beginning of my visualization sessions or when I'm doing it by myself I get the best from those sessions when like my breathing slows down and I'm calmer um so the start of those visualization sessions it just seems like a perfect opportunity to kind of be be aware of my breathing as I said sometimes I'll be playing and it will be in between a rally and and all of a sudden I'll kind of think how how am I breathing and my and I'm breathing so heavily and it's and it's almost stressful doing that so I'm just trying to learn how to control my breathing in stressful situations when I'm playing a match or in training um but it's as simple as you can be sat down or lying in bed and just for five minutes you just become conscious of your breathing mm. um and yeah I've learned that I didn't really have a lot of control over my breathing in matches and it, I think it really impacts the way that you play Oh, it, it's huge. And, and the amount of research being done on it uh, lately is, is only getting better and better and stronger and stronger. And it, it definitely reminds me of something, a big thing that I try work on a lot with my players is awareness is 60% of the solution. If you can become aware of something, breathing, uh, your mindset, your inner voice, if you do that, I believe it's 60% part of the problem solved. Yes, there's still work to do for 40%. But like you said, you're becoming conscious of your breathing. You're catching yourself breathing in certain ways. It almost sounds like you could build in a bit of a visualization story with this as well. You could almost visualize yourself hyperventilating in a match, catch yourself doing it and how you calm yourself down. Have you done that yet? Have you visualized bad breathing yet and try to put a solution in place? Yeah, 100%. It's 
after doing the visualization the amount of times when I was playing in Manchester or um the other tournaments where in between rallies or during a rally I'll I'll be conscious of something that I'm doing it it might even be you know I lose a rally and my body language drops and I become a bit negative and now that I've done the visualization and many sessions on kind of body language and how you come across to your opponent I'll kind of I'll catch on to that in the match and then I'll pick myself up because you know I've I've visualized it and I've been through it Mm. it's just I'm so much more aware of the little things I'm doing on court that make a big difference now Oh, awesome. It's yeah, again, I keep saying this, but but it sounds like you are putting some seriously powerful things in place for the future and really encouraging to hear that that awareness is a big part of it and, and heightening your awareness. And I'm a big, big proponent on trying to get people to practice awareness because I think we all understand awareness is important, but how can we expect to flick a switch and be aware under pressure? We, we've got to practice mm-hmm. awareness away from the court, in my opinion, and like you're doing in visualizations or when you're driving or walking, actually get yourself back into the moment. And, and you know, there might be a bit of mindfulness that comes in here as well. So no, yeah. it sounds encouraging. And, and yeah, hopefully we're going to see some really good stuff in, in the next few mm-hmm. tips because it really sounds like you're putting some strong things in place. Has there been any other examples out of interest? You know, you've had a few tournaments uh, playing around with your visualization. Any Anything else come to mind in regard to some of the success you've had with it? Um, I think, right, yeah. I think that um, it's just in between games as well, as well, when I come off court, previously I've kind of wandered around and, um the refs called 30 seconds and I've walked back onto court and I've gone on and I've not really thought very clearly of maybe what I needed to do differently or because I'm kind of walking around um I never really settle whereas in the visualization I'm kind of thinking about in between games sitting down and what what I could think about calming myself with the breathing as I said Mm. um and in the last three tournaments I've definitely gone back on court after the break in between games and had a lot more clarity on the game plan and what I want to do whereas before it was almost as though that time in between games was a bit wasted and I didn't I didn't use it very wisely yeah oh awesome no thanks for sharing those stories hopefully it's not giving too many tips away to your opponents but doesn't not that it doesn't matter but you could say this but you still have to go and execute don't you so you know you could give away what you're doing but it doesn't matter in the big picture because you still are the one who has to do it um so yeah. i'm curious to, to to go have a little investigation with this so you look like you pay a, a lot of attention to your physical conditioning and your training uh can you talk about the mindset you exhibit in order to keep persisting and getting back out there time and time again i know you said you got an injury at the moment so we'll come back to that but let's let's talk about when you are in your peak of your condition you do pay a lot of attention to that physical side don't you yeah, ever since I was younger, um, the physical side is it just comes naturally to me because I just I love feeling fit and strong and until I was thirteen I did gymnastics and squash. So um I always kind of balanced two sports. I did a lot of athletics at school and hockey, so I've always been really sporty. I was saying earlier that at some stages during high school I would have a hockey match at lunchtime and then I'd do an athletics club after school where I used to do 800 meters mainly so I'd run maybe three or four 800 meter races and then my mum would pick me up and take me to gymnastics which I did three hours of gymnastics three days a week Um, and then obviously I was playing squash as well so since I was younger I've been really sporty um, and I think gymnastics and the athletics gave me a really good base mm. um, I was always fit and then I started when I was about 14 I started doing some weights um, with a really good strength and conditioning coach in Ipswich so I started to get a bit stronger obviously gymnastics you have to be very strong mm. um, so I've just always done a lot of physical training yeah i know you can you can totally see that in in the way you play the way you move how naturally athletic you are but it also looks like you then just add so many layers onto it. it's not just like you can stop and be happy with what you're doing 
but it's so cool to hear that your environment from a very young age, you you were being exposed to so many different things. And, and, and would you say then your, yes, you had all these different sports and your, you know, you got provided them, but was your mental state always really encouraging and positive towards all these sports? And, and you felt it was something you just naturally gravitated towards? Yeah, I think even in the juniors, when I was playing tournaments, I'd see athletics club as a brilliant way to almost do training for squash. Mm. Um, so when I was in high school and I did athletics club at lunchtime, I saw that as training for squash. Mm, um, and like my gymnastics, when I was doing both of them, although obviously I loved gymnastics at the time, the conditioning that I had to do for the gymnastics was brutal. And mm. I think that it's helped massively in terms of kind of core strength, leg strength, upper body. Um, so it's all kind of nicely fit into place for squash. Yeah, no, it, it definitely seems like gymnastics is is, is a great uh, great introductory type activity for squash and, and yeah, it gets people in ridiculous good shape. I've got a bit of a thing where I want to go around to my local gymnastics clubs close to my club and almost um, pick up, because a load of people get turned away from gymnastics at a young age. They're like, oh, you're too big or you're not you're not flexible enough and they get turfed out. If I could go around and pick, pick up the 10, 12, 13 year olds and go, come play squash, I think we'd have a, a, a really yeah. good squash team because of the gymnastics space. Um, but just looking a little bit more detail at squash now how do you go about analyzing your own game as well as maybe analyzing your opponent's game so probably a two-part question there feel free to start with your 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 own game how do you go about analyzing that yeah again um in march when i started the visualization i started doing some analysis as well which i hadn't done previously um and yeah the analysis can be on myself or it can be on me playing an opponent or if I know who I'm playing in a tournament it will be on them for kind of the week leading up to the event or I love doing analysis on um, like the top players so um, like recently I've I did a match on two of the top five players in the world because obviously learn a lot from watching them it's very inspiring um, so yeah, the good thing about analysis is you can kind of analyse anything. Like you could analyse body language, um, movement, tactics, technique. So there's so many different kind of alleyways you can go down with it. Yeah, wow, that's really cool you're doing that so far. But but as you say that, obviously there's so many avenues, but it could almost then be too broad. Do you have a process of channeling certain things you analyze is there certain times you focus on different things what's your process in regard to that um i will have a kind of a theme that i'm looking at so depending on kind of who i'm analyzing it or if it's myself i will before the session have in mind kind of the main theme that i'm looking at maybe be a shot or a tactic or um a technical point mm-hmm. um but to be honest, I think the best analysis that I've done is just where I watch the match through once where I'm not kind of thinking at all. I just simply watch it and then I'll go through it again um, and try and look more specifically and stop and pause it and rewind. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I learn the most from just sitting down and watching a match yeah. all the way through from start to finish. And mm-hmm. um Yeah. Just, just absorbing it sounds great. like, yeah, you sit and yeah. absorb and absorb. And, you know, it sounds like you're, you're building up a, a huge amount of data points because of watching so many matches, both in regard to more of a relaxed view where you sit back, but then in regard to a more internal, not internal, but more intense view where you stop and you forward and you go backwards and bit by bit. And yeah, yeah. There, there's, a, there's a saying in coaching, I'm not sure if you come across it, but I think that the biggest skill of a coach is to try get a 40-year-old's head onto a 20-year-old's body. So can, can yeah. a 20 year old have the eyes and the head and and see what the coach is looking at and if i'm honest it sounds like you're doing that or you're you're on the pathway to trying that which again is hugely encouraging so where did you come up with the concept of this analysis was something you developed or or how how did that come about it was just more more time on my hands in the lockdown that um i just want i did a few different things but i just wanted to make sure that when the tour resumed that I've kind of used the time as best as I could and I also can't sit 
still for five minutes as it is. So I needed to keep myself busy and keep my mind busy. But with the visualisation and analysis, when I say about just watching some of my favourite players, that's kind of, I've got like the intense sessions where the visualisation sessions are very structured or the analysis, there's a specific thing that I'm looking at. But then with the visualisation, sometimes it's just very relaxed and I'll be walking and thinking things in my head. And then with the analysis, um, I'll just watch the match and I'm just watching my favourite player just for inspiration and enjoyment. So there's two different kind of ways of going about it. There's the intense side, but there's also just, you know, just relaxing and letting your mind kind of go wherever it goes. Yeah, I, I don't know the signs behind it, but I can imagine you, both sides will absorb slightly differently as well. You know, the way if you just sit back and chill and watch, you, you're going to absorb it maybe more organically in a way it's just going to go in whereas obviously when you're analyzing you're, you're you're channeling it and you're focusing it and 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 you're probably stimulating different neural pathways so it sounds like you're touching yeah. really cool things there yeah and subconsciously when I'm just sitting chilling watching the match as you said like so many things are going to be going into my head and I'm going to be learning even if I'm not necessarily like with a pen and paper writing things down um the same with the visualization if you're driving somewhere and a thought comes into your head it's it's almost like it's it's a game where you've, your mind's thinking that logically um it's all helpful whichever way you do it yeah brilliant and uh, yeah, i said hopefully you're getting getting that 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 old coach's head in your body which is which is the sweet spot which <laughs> yeah, i think all us coaches are trying to strive for so I'm curious to investigate the the concept of of nerves. You know, we we all have nerves, and and you know maybe you stepping onto the pro tour. I know there was an easier transition, but have you found any methods that help you cope effectively with nerves that come up? I think I've learned more recently, kind of the best state for me to be in to to play my best squash, um, which is a lot more relaxed than I would have thought beforehand. Um, I'm naturally quite intense with things. So, you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist when I when I put my mind to something, I want to do it perfectly. Um, and I get stressed over things not being done properly. So when I play squash, sometimes I can be quite intense and quite, um, I get quite wrapped up in, in the moment. Whereas um, I think I'm actually better when I'm more relaxed. Mm. Um, and that's why like the visualization and breathing has helped me so much because it's just let me slow down a little bit mm -hmm. um, and just making sure that I'm calm before I go on court um, in between games, I'm calm. Um, because even though of course it's good to be intense, I think it's like the relaxed intensity, if yeah. that makes sense, yeah, yeah, totally. where, I'm calm, but I'm still fully switched on. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And I've heard that from a, from a few of the players I've interviewed here. Um, a couple of things come to mind when you say that. Uh, the whole concept of acceptance, I think acceptance is a big thing that... Um, accepting things that are out of our control and and not and not worrying about them in a way, whether it's a bad ref, a bad opponent, bad conditions, and actually even ourselves, even if we don't perform that well on the day, almost an acceptance of letting go. Uh, and yes, that perfectionist mindset that you have is really powerful in some areas, but it can also be your weakness in others, can't it? It can, it can, mm. get, it can get you to really switch and become so anxious within regard to that. And then the second thing, I think you, you said it there, I heard Marwan speak about this, this idea of, of, of that real relaxed focus. You know, you just, you almost just like, I've just got to relax now. I've just got to let myself go and execute and, 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 and getting wrapped up in that. So does that ring a few bells when I say it like that? Yeah, the relaxed intensity is kind of a good way of putting it for myself. It's like, you're, you're in this relaxed state, but, you know, you're still completely switched on in the moment and you're aware of, aware of what's going on but naturally in my personality on court I'm not really like shouting or getting involved with the ref too much or my opponent but obviously a bad decision or my opponent or how I'm playing it does still affect me mm -hmm. but it affects me more like internally mm -hmm. so I don't necessarily you know emotions don't pour out of me when I'm playing mm -hmm. but I still feel them inside so it's yeah, getting a hold of them and being able to control the emotions, you know, when the adrenaline's high and in the heat at the moment. Mm, 
Yeah, no, I completely get that. I think as you're talking, there reminds me of a quote. It was from Sean White. I'll probably get the quote a bit wrong, but famous snowboarder. He landed like one of the most impossible moves at, at one of the Olympic Games. And he says that he talked about the zone, which we're all trying to strive for the zone. He says it's the zone for him was was the the fact that he was immersed in that 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 activity fully, but he also didn't care at the same time. Mm -hmm. He said it was a complete balance of that where, and I just love the bit where he says slightly not caring. He just goes, no, yeah. I just, I, I'm concentrating yeah. here, but I also don't really care. And I think that's a great yeah. summary of, of how just to be relaxed, but with a focus at the same time. Yeah, especially when um, I'm coming into this, the senior game and obviously every match is a very hard match because of the standard. Um, and it's like, if, if you care too much and it's the end of the world losing a match, then it just, you know, it, it gets you down and it weighs so heavily on your shoulders. So obviously everyone cares so much, otherwise we wouldn't be playing professional squash, but it's, you know, being happy with the performance and satisfied that you gave a hundred percent, but you know, you can't, and I'm still learning this because I still get very down with myself after a loss, but it's yeah. Learning to, to cope with with losses and mm. um, just focus on the performance, especially for me right now, because wins are hard to come by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, listen, you, you're speaking a very mature game here and it's just super motivating sitting here hearing you talk about this. Reminds me of one more little quote. I, I love my kind of, well, it's actually a line from a poem where it goes, it's the poem, If by Rudyard Kipling. Uh, people listening will probably be sick of me saying that, but it goes, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same. It sounds similar to what you talk about again, not like triumph. It's only triumph if we put such a massive thing on triumph and same with disaster. It's only a disaster if we put such a big intention or a big feeling on disaster. It pretty much what that line is saying, it's play in that middle zone or operate in that middle zone. Whereas yes, if you win, you can enjoy it and celebrate. If you lose, you can be a bit hard on yourself and motivate yourself, but you don't live your life at these two extremes, you know, complete yeah. triumph and complete disaster. It sounds similar to what you're saying there. Yeah, emotionally, you know, if the highs are too high and the lows are too lows, it's just, it's such a roller coaster to go through. Um, but it was difficult because in juniors, I was so used to, by the end of my junior career, um, winning most things, being number one seed and number one in England. I went from kind of being very used to winning and if I lost, it was kind of a shock to in the seniors, um, like losing many more matches than I'm winning so I went from kind of one extreme to the other in that sense and yeah. but that's the harshest lesson that I could have learned because you know I had to accept losing because mm -hmm. if I didn't accept it then there was you know no point me carrying on so I've kind of had to go through that and still going through it but I'm mm -hmm. de dealing with it a lot better now. No, really cool. And th this might link me to my next question I was going to investigate. What is your inner voice like? And, and when I say that, I mean, maybe twofold to this question. Does it differ when you are playing from in front your, of your opponent on the scoreboard or from behind? What's happening there internally when, when you're in those two situations, leading from the front or being the underdog and have to play from behind? I think the inner voice, I'm becoming more aware throughout the day in the lead up to a match previously kind of I'd have these voices in my head saying different things but I'd almost like try and ignore it whereas now if I get the in a voice during the day or even if I'm warming up or during the knock-up I try and be more conscious of it and do something about it um, rather than just ignoring it and letting it linger and obviously it's negative um, so yeah the affirmations that I've been trying to implement just mean that when I get these negative thoughts that I just channel it with something positive. Mm -hmm. um, of course, when you're behind on the scoreboard, naturally the more negative thoughts are going to come out, but you also get them when you're winning. I mean, if you're winning and you're too love up and then your opponent starts to come back, you might get the thoughts mm -hmm. that, oh, I can't bottle this and lose 3-2 from a two-love lead. Um, so the negative thoughts aren't just purely when you're losing. You can get them when you're winning 
10 something up and you start to think what happens if I end up losing this game so yeah many many times I get the inner voice yeah I I think that that's what I've started to really appreciate as well it's I think it would be unwise for us to turn around and say, block out those thoughts because, because thoughts come, you know, we might not want those thoughts to come, but they're going to appear. And what, what I've been doing a bit of research on is, is actually inviting those thoughts in going, actually, I'm, I'm, I recognize I'm having those thoughts. I'm having the thought that dot, 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 I invited in, I let it get comfortable. I, I sit with it a little bit, but I also take away its power. When I do that, I, I don't then react on that inner voice i don't then react on that negative thought because i've recognized it i've welcomed it in and actually welcoming it in starts to create some distance between me and my thoughts and and it's Mm -hmm. quite an interesting way to look at things like that so rather than blocking it out which actually has been part of the process maybe until quite recently in sports psychology you talk about blocking those thoughts out you know there's been there's a big body of research saying that that's actually not quite the way to do it now so maybe it's something that you will investigate as well yeah, I mean, I've definitely tried to ignore um, those thoughts and I don't think it's the best thing to do. Um, but sometimes if you've got a match in the evening, say at seven o'clock, you might wake up in the morning and those thoughts might start coming into your head at eight o'clock in the morning. So then, you know, if you have to deal with that for however many hours until the match, by the time you get to the match, your mind is going to be mm-hmm. like frazzled. <laughs> so it's yeah I think it's really important like with many things like the breathing um as we touched on being conscious of it and then doing something about it is Mm. the best way nice yeah great methods great advice there so what um what methods have you found that that work and give you the ability to bounce back from setbacks you know that concept of resilience that concept of bouncing back have you found any methods of that obviously transitioning to the seniors and like you say maybe losing more matches than winning what what, what goes on there I mean it's it's always tough if you've lost in a way that you're not happy with so I'm now at the point where if I lose but I've put in a good performance then I'm then I'm fine with it um but yeah if you've if you've come off court and you don't think you've maybe done yourself justice then it's difficult but for me watching my favorite players is always a good way for me to kind of bounce back so once I get home from the tournament um usually I don't have much time off before I get back to training anyway but I always so Noel Tired's my favorite player I absolutely love watching her um I always watch a couple of her matches And it kind of just like reignites the fire. Um, And then when I go to train, I always make sure that those first sessions back are enjoyable ones. So whether it be getting on court with Lee, which I enjoy doing, or with my brother or with a hitting partner who we always have great sessions, I just make sure that those first few sessions back like I enjoy them and they're not stressful or too intense. That's so cool. I've actually not heard of that before. So that's, that's enlightened me to something that I might suggest to some of my players. So just reconfirm, you go back and you watch someone that you admire that that's a great way. And then your next. I always, (laughs) always watch Tayeb. Always watch. I love that. Yeah. I just, I just love the way that she plays her personality, her style of squash. And yeah, if I'm a bit down in the dumps, always put one of the matches on it makes me feel better that's such a cool method i really think that's that's enlightening because you know you hear people and i think i went through it i'd play bad and i'd go punish myself with court sprints and i'd actually go do things that were quite hard and almost like negative reinforcement going no i need to be better and actually the way you've said that is such a positive reinforcement so even if you are frustrated and annoyed you're putting on a role model you might even watch her body language and her behavior and like i said her attitude and that just gives you that motivation again by the sounds of it yeah, it just motivates me to get back on court. Um, but don't get me wrong, if I've come home from a tournament and performed badly, I want to go and, you know, go for a really long run or do a hard bike session or go and lift some weights is always a really good way of me kind of letting off the, the steam or the disappointment. But, um, yeah, the good people around me kind of always recommend that I just get back on court and enjoy playing Mm. like usually quite openly just playing some rallies or as I said get on with Lee and just start 
start learning again rather than kind of dwelling on it and days go past and you're in that negative frame of mind I I'm not very good at it but I've really tried to switch out of the negative mindset as quickly as I can Mm. Some really, really cool advice there. And yeah, hopefully those that are listening can take that on board. So we've um, we've touched a couple of times on, or actually before I get that, have you played Noor yet? Have you, have you been on call with her? With who, sorry? Noor Al-Tayeb, have you get on call? No, I've not, I've not been on court with her, but yeah, I've watched all of her matches and I think that she's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, so, well, again, you, there might be a bit of a gap until you play her. You know, obviously she's in motherhood at the moment and going to be a mother mm-hmm. soon. So hopefully she'll be bouncing back. And at that point, you know, you'll be top 10 in the world con- combating with her. <laughs> amazing. That would be nice. <laughs> it would be really cool. And, and if that happens, <laughs> I'll definitely be watching that knowing this conversation that we've had as well. Yeah. <laughs> so touched a little bit on your on your injury so i'm quite curious to explore this and, and and your rehab process yeah can you talk us through what's been going on and and actually like mentally how you've got yourself through this as well yeah it's been difficult because previously i've had two or three injuries which have just kind of taken a little bit of time off maybe like a week two weeks max and then i've just rested it and then i've got back to training and my body's just kind of recovered itself and um, and I'm back to playing squash again. Whereas this injury, it's not serious at all and it's on the mend and hopefully um, before long I'll be back on court. But I've had to go about it a bit more of a professional way where every few days I'm going to see a physio um, and I've had that physio give me a um, rehabilitation programme um, for me to follow to a T just because previously I think I've been a bit enthusiastic so when I've had an injury I've rushed it a little bit mm-hmm. um, because naturally I just want to get back to training and I don't really like the rest and the time off so just by making sure that um, I got the program from the physio it just means that I'm doing everything at the right pace and I'm not taking two steps forward one step back I'm just taking small steps. Mm-hmm. And, and and you, again, sounds like obviously a different model you used before. You've used the word professional there. How are you coping with it mentally? Are you, are you motivated? Obviously, there's a bit of frustration in there. And actually, can you tell us what the injury is? Yeah, it's um, my VMO. Uh, what so is I that? Pulled, because I've got no idea. <laughs> it's, it's part of the quad. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought that... Um, by going through a physio was just the best way to go about it rather than tackling it by myself and Mm -hmm. having to judge where it's at by myself. I just thought it was going to end up in me rushing it because that's my personality. But it's just, I've put all my trust in kind of the physio and I trust him and we're in contact every day about how the injury is progressing. And I'm always kind of, asking him oh could I do this as well and he's like no you know we're gonna we're doing what I say um so but that's perfect for me because Mm -hmm. I'm listening to what he's saying and I'm not going to do anything extra because I want to get back on court as quickly as possible but Mm -hmm. it's allowed me more time to do more stuff mentally Mm -hmm. anyway so while I've not been able to train um I've been doing other things. So um, yeah, just try to maximize the time. Perfect. Well, it sounds like if anything as well, it's, it's a good practice in patience. You, you're probably practicing and exhibiting levels of patience. So if you yeah. play a long grinding, slow game, you'd be, Hey, I've been working on my injury and I've been practicing patience for so long. How did you do the injury out of interest? Um, it was, I was in Manchester on court with SJ and Julianne and I think it was just because I hadn't been on court for a while. Um, The first session back, usually you take it steady and maybe the duration a little bit shorter. But um, I obviously just wanted to play for two hours, um, obviously with the level that Julianne and SJ are at. And it was just the end of the session. um, And I I just felt a bit of a niggle. And at the time, it didn't really feel as though I'd done much. Um, but yeah, when I came home, it was just a bit sore and I went to see the physio and he just said that I pulled it. So, 
well, you, hopefully, good luck that it's going to be quick. And by the time this uh, this podcast recording goes out, you, you're going to be dominating some tournaments as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, good luck with that whole process. Uh, but listen, this for me has been an absolute delight. I, I'm sure other people are going to reflect this, but but the way you're speaking and, and the way you're looking at your game and the way you are, you know, for someone so young, taking such attention to detail, taking such care. Look, you've had some great role models. You're surrounding yourself with really good people as well. It only sounds like you're, you're going off in the right direction. So I wish you a huge amount of luck. I'm going to be really eager to watch you back on court very soon. Um, and yeah, like, thank you so much for your time. Uh, one probably final thought to think about, give me a message. Well, not, not a message, but if you were able to speak to your younger self, so your 13, 14, 15 year old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to enjoy every moment really I think looking back at the juniors I had a brilliant junior career um but some of the things that I achieved at the time I I didn't necessarily celebrate it or give myself any credit I just kind of brushed it off and moved on to the next tournament and as you get into the seniors and you realize how tough it is and when you do have a good result obviously it feels amazing so I'd say to the younger juniors that any little achievement or success that to celebrate it because as you get into the seniors they get harder and harder um to come by so but yeah just enjoy it and and work hard and you get what you work for amazing that's such good advice and and what you've said today really resonates with me i genuinely think it's going to resonate with a lot of people so lucy tomel thank you so much and listen let's do this again soon if you enjoyed it i think we could definitely get you back because i think there's so many more interesting things that we can share and talk about 100 percent. really appreciate it thank you cheers thank you see you bye presence process persistence the essence of squash mind